Welcome back to the Stoplight Approach Podcast, where brain science is made simple. I am your host, Sarah Ganger. And today on the podcast, we are discussing chapter four from Signals, which is the chapter about resilience. And to discuss the chapter here with me today is my husband, Tim. Hi there. Hi. So the chapter on resilience, chapter four, starts with um, a story that I know that a lot of parents can relate to. And that is a young mom with lots of very, very small humans to take care of, um, steps out of the room for a split second, hears a wail, and comes back into the room and sees the baby on the floor with the two-year-old next to them and just just flips into red, starts yelling, um, you know, kind of gets in the child's face, scares the child. I I know that I absolutely could 100% relate. It seems like this monster just takes over your brain and you become someone you don't even recognize. And um, it was such a good description of red brain. And she uses this phrase, um, trending red. So, and kind of gives a, a list of circumstances that can kind of lend a person towards going to red brain more easily. And it just made me curious, like, do you have any situations or circumstances that cause you to trend red where it makes it more, um, it's just easier to go into red brain? Yeah. For, for me, I know everyone is different. And so some of us have uh, triggers or different things like that. She gets into that in the next chapter uh, of the book uh, as well. But I think for me, it's multiple areas of stress. Mm. So it's trying to balance things that, that we have to balance all the time. But I think many times <laughs> there's sometimes there's times when certain areas are more stressful than others. And it's kind of one of those times where it feels like there's like a perfect storm mm-hmm. that hits. And so and what, what I mean by that is you, you're balancing uh, work home dynamics, balancing uh, the stress of, of budgets, balancing the stress of um, kids and marriage and feeling like you've got a to-do list a mile long and you don't get to it, but then also feeling exhausted and like you need to rest. And then so you feel bad that you didn't do your your to-do list, but you also feel bad that you just want to relax and do something that's rejuvenating. And and I think for me, it's when all those pieces come together. And what I realize is, is I've functionally been walking this emotional tightrope and so if any one of those things just increases by the smallest margin, uh, then I feel like I'm, I'm automatically flipping over to red brain. And so, so it, for, for me, it's when I don't have a good understanding of, of really what's going on. And I really allow things to escalate to a point where I feel pretty out of control, not due to maybe necessarily individual stressors, but just all of the different things coming together. And that's when I noticed for myself that I pretty automatically can trend red without even realizing what's going on. Uh, I think for me, it's because it's not that one thing. It's a whole bunch of things. And I just haven't really cared for those things very well in the past. And they come and want to eat you up. Yeah. Yeah. And she definitely mentioned stress as something that can like cause you to trend red. Um, 
another example that she gave, which absolutely (laughs) resonated with me was just sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know this is so hard, especially when your kids are really young, you know, and babies are waking up in the night and, you know, um, little ones wake up with nightmares or whatever. But what I've found is that even as your kids get older, you know, they have trouble sleeping or they um, kind of want to talk late into the night. And so sleep deprivation sort of persists, you know, Um, plus just aging. And sometimes it's harder to get to sleep and it's harder to get comfortable. And so I've definitely found that, like, if I am not getting good sleep, then I am much more prone to flip into red. And so just wanting to make sure that I'm getting the sleep that I need as much as I can so that I'm not, not as prone to those red moments. Um, another thing that's interesting, it's almost sort of mentioned in passing in the chapter, but I really wanted to talk about it because I felt like it was really important was the, um, she kind of just has this line where she talks about how left to ourselves, we will parent the way we were parented. And just this idea that like the way you relate is the way you relate. So if you are not intentionally making choices about how you're parenting, you're going to parent the same way that you, you were parented. And so I was just curious, do you have like a habit or a mindset that helps you kind of switch out of autopilot um, and into more intentional, okay, this is the way I want to parent? Yeah. So I think it's something important uh, about myself is I, I'm an only child, and so I, I didn't have any any siblings growing up, and so in essence, you know, parenting what, what it looked like for me was I, it was just me, and so you know, I didn't really have any other anyone else around me to see how parenting could look any different, and so what uh, has been really helpful for me is um, I got a job as a special education teacher. And my job was to provide different uh, accommodations, modifications for students so that they could learn. And there were some times where every student needed the same thing. Uh, For instance, a test read to them. But then uh, what I also saw was that every student also had their own individual needs. And sometimes that wasn't necessarily on a piece of paper. That was in learning who they were, what they liked, what they disliked, what was the best way to connect with them, how do you help them get their work done, what's a way to teach them that's going to be most effective for them to learn. And what I saw was that there was no such thing as one size fits all. I had to see each student as an independent student. And that was really helpful for for me because that allows me to look at each of my kids Mm -hmm. differently because they're all different people. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I need to treat them differently uh, because they're gonna have different struggles or they're gonna have different strengths and different uh, weaknesses, different ways they wanna grow, different interests. And so they're, they're all unique in that way. And so I can have general principles of how I, I parent, but, but when I'm actually interacting and engaging with my kids, there's a big variety. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps me stay off of autopilot because I, I have to see my kids as they are. Mm-hmm. And for me growing up, I didn't have anyone else to view that. And so I, I think that 
it helps me to stay away from uh, thinking that parenting my oldest is the same as parenting my youngest because they're different people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's super helpful. And um, yeah, one way that I found to sort of um, kind of break that autopilot, like what I would automatically do kind of left to myself. um, And this is just super like practical is I I take a breath. Um, So if I'm having an interaction with a child and like my sort of instinct automatic response would be this, you know, I've, I've trained myself to just breathe, to take a breath. And that, that gives me enough, just even that small moment of like taking a big breath in and then letting it out helps me think, okay, wait, is this actually how I want to respond? You know, like this sort of instinct, this impulse to do it this way is, is that, is that really how I want to respond? And so it just kind of creates that break that helps me check myself so that I, I'm not necessarily just going on autopilot and parenting the way I was parented. I'm, I'm making those intentional choices moment to moment. Um, yeah. And if it's okay, I, we, we've used this term and the book used this term, we've talked about it. And I think that we can often feel really bad about reading that and thinking about that because we think, well, is there something wrong with the way that I was parented? Like as if we're, we're accusing our parents of doing something wrong. And that's not at all what this is getting at. And one of the things that I've reflected on this is, is I, I've, I, I've had good parents. I love my parents. I think they did a good job raising me. And one thing that I've realized is that all, all parents are, they're trying to do their best. But one of the realities is, is that you always want better for your children. And so I think that it's normal and good and right. And, and I hope that my kids say, well, you know, I, I had a good dad, but that they're also going to be striving to see the good things that I did and the things that I did poorly mm-hmm. and become better parents than, than I am. Yeah, I, I want my sons to be better dads than me. And so I think in a way, when, when we're saying this, we're not saying in any way that, that, that people always have bad parents or anything like that. I think instead we're saying that you know, what we want to do is we want to learn and we want to observe. And so I, this is not something that should make us feel bad or guilty. And we're not dishonoring our parents when we say that. I think what we're just doing is saying is, is, is hey, look, this is an area that we, we want to work on. We want to grow in. And it is really easy for us to just go by what our default mm-hmm. is when we're different people. We've had different experiences. And so therefore we want to we want to work in this area and, and observe and grow so that we can be the best parents that we can be uh, at this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important to remember, like everybody, everybody is doing the best they can with the skills that they have. And so saying like, you know, we are going to automatically parent the way we were parented isn't necessarily a bad thing, no. but my children are different than me. That's when right. I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And my, you know, my son is different than my brother was, you know, as a child. And so therefore, like, I can't look at the way my parents parented my brother and say, okay, I'm going to parent my son the exact same way. That's right. Because he's an individual. Um, kind of like you were saying, we have to look at our kids as individuals. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a different person than my mom and because my son is a different person than my brother was, like, we, like everybody has to have a unique 
approach. Yeah. And so that's why this sort of like intentional mindset of, okay, I, I want to make the best choices for me and for my child in this particular situation rather than just doing what comes automatically mm-hmm. because of the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's more like kind of tailoring mm-hmm. our responses yeah. and rather than saying anything, you know, any kind of judgment about mm-hmm. what might have happened in the past or right. might not have happened in the past. It's more just like, okay, I'm in this moment present in this relationship and I want it, the response to be appropriate and tailor made for this situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you for bringing that up. Sure. Um, and so she kind of, you know, mentions, mentions this idea of like trending red and these situations that can make us trend red and, and then kind of transitions to this discussion of, okay, so how do we build our resilience so that when we are in these situations that can possibly make us like trend towards red, we have more reserves to, to draw from to help us maybe not respond in a red way when maybe we would have in the past. Like how do we build up that resilience? And she defines resilience as the ability to endure hard circumstances and learn and grow from them. And so we all know that hard things happen in life. 100% that's part of being human and it's universal no matter where in the world you live what culture you grow up in like there are going to be difficult things that happen and so resilience is growing that ability to to endure it and to persevere and to and to allow it to help us to grow and learn and develop the skills that we need and um so for growing resilience that reserve she talks about these different factors i have I am and I can. So I have safe people and places. I am talks about identity. This is the type of person that I am, self-worth. And then I can, these things I'm capable of doing. These are the skills that I have. And I was just going to ask, do you, you know, did you have one of these that kind of stood out to you? I have, I am, I can, that made you think of like a, a relationship in your past that helped you build up and strengthen one of these resilience factors. Yeah, I, I definitely do. It was from uh, when I was in high school, so that would have been uh, my uh, my first year in high school, so that would have been uh, ninth grade uh, for me. And I had this particular coach who uh, was just a really major influence in me. And, and as I was thinking back, it, it wasn't that he necessarily said anything that was so profound that I had never heard of before. As much as I think that that at that particular time, I needed to have somebody who wasn't my parents, and yet at the same time was also still saying things that my parents said to me. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a different source that I needed at that time. and. It was hugely transformative to me because the message that he gave was so empowering and so authentic that I could recognize that I could do what was right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to do what everyone else did. Um, Just because the crowd did something didn't mean that I had to do that. I I could think for myself I could make my own independent choices 
And, and then I could also learn to be okay with that. And, and maybe I made a choice that was great and made it, maybe made a choice that was awful. So I could also do work and make things right. And so I could recover from a, a poor decision. And I think part of that was he modeled that. So he was authentic in terms of talking about some of his own good choices and bad choices. But then also standing in front of us and, and saying, I, I can I can own this and grow from this. And for a 14-year-old boy who, who, who I think heard a similar story, heard a similar, had a similar understanding of that from my parents, this all of a sudden was somebody who was not related to me, who was telling me these things. And it drove home those ideas, I, I think, in just a different way. And that was a massive influence to me at an age where I think I really needed another influence. And thankfully, this coach was willing to pour into my life in this way, not just in terms of a student athlete, but in in terms of a person. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really important to grow my resiliency. I had such a different understanding of what that looked like in and through him. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, he gave you this, these, like, I can, you know, I can do the right thing. Like Mm -hmm. I can do the right thing, even if no one else is doing the right Mm -hmm. thing, you know, that's so huge. And like you said, at a time when, you know, you needed another voice, you know, I think that we don't, maybe we, we underestimate the power of people like coaches or mm-hmm. teachers or a youth worker or someone who kind of comes alongside and, and maybe tells us things that our parents have said before, That's right. but also maybe tells us things we've never heard before mm-hmm. and like helps us build up those factors. It was interesting that you mentioned a, a coach because when I was reading this chapter, I thought of a teacher who, when I was in eighth grade, so I'm 13 and she had graded an assignment that I had turned in an essay and I went and talked to her about it after class because I didn't get the grade that I was expecting. I was a very high achieving student. I was used to making straight A's and this this essay did not come back with an A and I was pretty shocked to be perfectly honest. And so I but I went and talked to her and she told me about some of the, the reasons why she had marked it the way that she had and um But then at the very end of this conversation, so I was discouraged when I walked up because I didn't get the grade that I wanted. I was focused on the achievement, the outcome, the result. And this is what she said to me at the end of the conversation. She goes, you know, Sarah, you are a writer. Mm. We're just going to work up on some of your skills. Mm -hmm. But she named that in me. Like she Mm -hmm. said that you are a writer. I am a writer. You Mm -hmm. know, like she, she gave me that she could see that in me and she drew it out and named it and spoke it. But then also said, and you've got, and you still got things to learn. Like you are this and you can do better. You can grow in your skills. Um, and basically I'm going to help you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I did grow hugely as a writer in eighth grade because she she saw that that was in me she drew it out named it and then like came alongside and gave me some of the skills that i needed and yeah so it's just so powerful like i feel like 
um, these I have, I am, I can factors like can come from all different sources, Mm -hmm. but we have to like kind of spend some time considering them. Okay. What, what are safe people, safe places that I have? Like what are, you know, things that I identify myself as like things that I am as a person and then things that I can do, things I feel capable of and realizing that for some people that like our resilience factors start pretty low. Like we think, you know, there's not a lot that I have or there's not a lot that I am or I can't do very many things, but just starting even small and just building up, like looking for the little things that are good and, and growing those things helps us to grow our resilience factors. And as we do that, as parents ourselves, as adults, we grow our resilience factors, then we can help our children to grow theirs. We can help them identify the things that they they have and they are and they and they can do. And, and it grows their resilience as well. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that's really helpful for me is is recognizing that I, I'm not done growing in my resilience mm-hmm. it, is that this is constantly a work in progress and and we, we have to understand that so that we can continue to be resilient no matter what or where, what we are where we are uh, what stage we are in life we're constantly doing that so that we can constantly be be growing yeah um Well, thank you for joining me for this conversation. Next week, we are going to be discussing Chapter 5. So if you are following along with us in the Signals book, please read Chapter 5, and we will discuss it next week. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stoplight Approach podcast. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast as it will help other people to find us. The Stoplight Approach offers many resources to help families, schools, churches, and other groups to grow in their understanding of the brain and relationships. Please visit www.thestoplightapproach.org to learn more. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stoplight Approach podcast. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast as it will help other people to find us. The Stoplight Approach offers many resources to help families, schools, churches, and other groups to grow in their understanding of the brain and relationships. Please visit 
www.thestoplightapproach.org to learn more.